0: we can really land here in the true sense of the word. You know, the body sitting on the cushion, sitting on the chair, you know, feeling the sense of gravity, which gently, you know, shows us every moment uh, where we come from, where our bodies come from, and that our bodies are part of the planet. And it's just something, you know, this gravity has been operating here for millions, billions of years. And in some way, you know, we got got sidetracked into our minds so intensively over the last few thousand years that we have kind of forgotten that more and more. And now it's time to come back to land again. And that's what we are speaking about here on this Wednesday mornings. And last Wednesday, I've been speaking about transcending, you know, the dualistic mind, which operates in terms of subject and object, and you know, splits apart into othering, projecting, and polarizing, and how that is getting more and more intense, you know, as we are using our minds in this way, you know, which overemphasizes the intellect. And and through that, you know, we are getting conditioned, you know, from the very moment, you know, we're coming out of our mother's womb and most likely, you know, before that, in this kind of conditioning, which... helps us you know to give birth to our world out of emptiness and that happens most of all through language you know our language which consists of nouns and verbs and through that you know we start to create a world because we think in that way and and that's a very deep unconscious process And, you know, if we learn a language, we automatically get to know a certain culture or a certain people. But just knowing more about the language and how they approach it, you know. And I myself have studied cultural anthropology before I became a nun. And I have some basic uh, studies in three different non-European languages. And one was Hausa which is a West African language, one Swahili, East African language. And then I also lived in Thailand for about five to six years and have also had a certain command of the Thai language. And those three non-European languages really showed me how different we can approach reality. And, you know, what stands out the most, for example, in the Thai language, they have many, many more pronouns than what we have, you know, in in German or in English. Even in German, we have more English, it's just very little. And so there's a very strong trend to depict social status and relationship status. So the way, you know, how you're referring to yourself or how you're referring to somebody else immediately tells the other person how you see yourself in relationship to that person. So that's quite, quite uh, pronounced, especially in the Thai language. And then what's also what I also learned is that, um, for example, the Aboriginal cultures in Australia, they have the most complex um, kinship systems or for all cultures on the planet, you know, even they live a very, very simple life, really close to the earth, but they are standing out for their extremely complex relationship systems. They have, you know, a name for, for you know, relatives who are very far away, you know, from the, what we would call like the core family, where we in, in German language, for example, don't have a word for it. And in the Thai language, they also have more words than, than we have in English or German. They have, for example, words, you know, which tell you if your grandfather or grandmother is from the female side of uh, or mother's side or from the father's side, for example. They have four words, you know, for the grandparents. We have only two. So it's very informative, you know, to kind of dive into this different way of seeing. And there another thing which stood out for me, and that's in the Thai language, but also in some of the African languages, that they have classifiers where they collect you know, certain phenomena into one class because of certain features. For example, if things are round, they go into one class, and there would be apples and oranges and babies would be in one, in, in one class. because babies are considered round things I found that extremely funny you know and then another class would be long thin things and a pen or a a stick you know or a a tall very tall person they would all go into that same class and then flat things you know like sheets of paper and so on so it's just a very different way of uh, looking at the world and then as we know, you know, the way how we look at the world, that's what we see. So even, you know, within the conditioning through language, there's many different flavors of how that can happen. And that has always interested me, you know, since I'm a, since I was a little girl, really, that's why I ended up uh, studying also cultural anthropology. And then, you know, by studying that, I, I felt like there was still not enough for me to understand, you know, how the mind works. And that then took me into the Buddhist uh, world, you know, and then I ended up being a nun even. And yeah, so it all started with that interest. Why do people, you know, see things like this and not differently? That was always like a mystery to me. Because in a way, we can say, you know, thinking in language takes us away from reality into a our personal world, you know, which we then share with our culture to a certain degree with our family and so on. So it takes us away from reality. It takes us out of direct experience so that we can communicate about it with others. And through that, you know, we can team up, and we can live together. So there are all, you know, up, attempts kind of to get a handle on our experience through stepping back, and then, you know, communicating with each other, and, and creating like a, a certain sense of uh, safety. But then, you know, as as we all uh, know, we have really gotten very extreme with that. You know, we have overemphasized that side of the equation, the intellect, so much that we have lost connection with the earth, which is our foundation for everything, you know, we have. And for, for our bodies also, not only for everything, you know, our houses, our cars, our food, our books, but also our bodies—it all comes from the earth. There's not anything at all. Even the earth, we, the air we breathe, comes from the trees, which stand on the earth. So we have lost that deep connection because we have been overemphasizing the intellect. And this morning, and you know, I looked up what it actually exactly means intellect and. The definition for intellect is a faculty of reasoning and understanding objectively, which means, you know, it's an object out there. So we're removing ourselves more and more from nature. And then also, because we have removed ourselves, we experience fear, you know, there might be some danger out there. Then we want to get some sense of mastery and control over that danger. And we want to, and we have a cons- a consuming relationship with it. And that's, you know, what we have uh, been cultivating to a degree now that it starts to backfire because it's out of balance. It's not the middle way, but it, we have gotten really hijacked into this way of looking at life and constantly trying, you know, to... Move, you know, the deck chairs on the Titanic to have a little bit of a better view or a better this or a better that, and in that attempt, we have overlooked, you know, that the ship is actually running into the wall, and or into the iceberg, you know, better uh, comparison. So we need to come back from that because it's kind of a, you know, if we experience biosphere as dangerous and as denying us something or as as scarce in some way, and then we behave in an aggressive way, then it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's what we are experiencing now. And we can get a handle on this if we are starting to turn towards it. And I brought a a very simple quote by Albert Einstein who says, look deep into nature, you will understand everything better. And I think this is what we want to do, you know, on those Wednesday mornings, to look really deep into nature and trusting, you know, that from that deep looking, a better understanding will emerge and will inform us to this. Degree, you know, that we are also start to act differently. So, because we need to get out of the way to allow nature to do its thing, because nature wants to heal, wants to regenerate, and we can support that or we can constantly interrupt it. You know, if you cut your finger and you just you clean it up and put a then they do it it will heal by itself we don't have to do anything you know but if every day you cut and you cut again and you cut again it's never going to go anywhere so this is you know the work is to get out of the way and allow nature to regenerate all of its systems because it can do this in an astonishing quick way sometimes you know It can, you know, you've seen, you know, nature can break through concrete. I mean, a little, little plant, you know, come out through the concrete. It's incredible because nature has so much power and so much agility, you know, to to adapt. And I've uh, recently read a, a book about the revolutionary intelligence of plants, you know, which has been honed by the fact that plants can't move away. You know, animals and human beings, our main strategy is to just move somewhere else, you know, even move to Mars or to the moon or whatever, if you have messed up the earth. Or animals also can run quickly or climb or duck down or dive down or whatever they can do. But plants can't do that. And because of the fact, you know, they are rooted in place, they have developed so many different kinds of intelligences to adapt to problems and and we can you know take some encouragement from them and there's a lot of information out there these days know, about plant intelligence and also the many different ways of seeing and interacting with the biosphere many different strategies the animals and especially the plants which are like extremely different than we are because they can't, simply by the fact that they can't move. So yeah, preparing the ground, you know, by in a way, you know, for us becoming current with the fact, you know, in the end of the day, we also can't move because we are rooted in the earth, in the planet. We have a bit more, you know, radius to move than a tree. But in the end of the day, we can't go away from here. And if we do, we need to take food, we need to take oxygen, we need to take drink, we need to take everything with us. So we are rooted here. And we need to really let that sink in. And that's, you know, what I want to help us do with those uh, meditations. So let's find uh, a posture for meditation for about 35 minutes. And, you know, as I always say, you don't have to work hard because I think everybody likes to hear that. I like to hear it. Don't have to work hard, you know, just really being fully here and opening your minds and allowing your minds to respond. Ah, you know, and allowing your breath to take you into your body. You know, with every breath, we sink a little bit deeper. just turning inside of our bodies, which are land, which are a part of the planet. Through eating, drinking, sweating, breathing, going to the bathroom, we are constantly in exchange with it, never cutting the umbilical cord. Even we can't see it, but it's operating all the time, more on an energetic level. And you know, through using language and evoking the power of imagination, you know, we can try to sense into that which has given birth to us. And that we are not separate. We know, we know, that a human body is all cells of a human body are replaced within seven years. So, you know, I'm 65. So soon I'm going to, in five years, it's my 10th body. So that's like the mind just stops. What does that mean? What does that mean? It can't be really described in this dualistic language. But we can point towards it and then allow the mind to just drop into that. It's a different kind of knowing, which is beyond the intellect, like a direct knowing and sensing is what can connect us to it. Which means, you know, not thinking about it, but directly experiencing it in terms of pressure, pulsing burning, softness, heat or cold, wetness, fluidity, streaming, flowing, all of those different sensations which we can connect within the body. And then on one level, you know, we are starting to experience the fact that this body is not a separate thing. It's a process. And it's not like... A different piece, but it is a deeply connected process inside of a vast, vast, vast process, which is operating since at least the Big Bang. That's awesome. So and whenever, you know, your mind wanders off into thinking about something, just gently bring it back and sense any of the sensations going on in your body. not in the interpretation of it, not getting lost in the interpretation which is conditioned by our past experiences, by our traumas, by our karma which which brought us in here. All of that stuff. This practice is about, you know, making some space around that. and not judging what we're experiencing not judging uncomfortable or painful as bad or wrong and not judging comfortable as good or right that's just such an important insight we need to familiarize ourselves with very very importantly it's not easy but that's the that's the real you know, that's what enables us to open up once we can let that go, at least for a moment and for another moment and another moment. That's, you know, these moments of insight when the light can come in. When the teacup isn't full and there's something can something new can be allowed. And my first teacher, Ajahn he you know, he asks us to come to his talk at five o'clock in the morning in Thailand when it wasn't hot yet. And he said, you know, when your teacups are not full yet, and you can receive something from me. because the transmission of reality cannot happen with words. It's it's something which happens when the words end and when there's a gap and all the words, they help us to orientate ourselves and then receive that direct experience in the gaps. And the more often, you know, we have such an experience, one more space is becoming available. And we call these experiences, you know, a little Nibbana, having a taste of the unconditioned, the unborn, the uncreated, as it's called in the early Buddhist scriptures. and what we're experiencing in the body all of those sensations this data flow which doesn't communicate in language language is just like a thing we do as human beings but it's not what other species do they communicate in a very different ways And we need to understand that it's not superior to be able to speak in language. It's just one way. So sharpening capacity for sensing. Is very central to the practice. And whenever you notice, you know, that your mind wanders off into thinking gently coming back to the experience of the body sitting and breathing in and breathing out. So there's really a direct access available if we remember it. Mindfulness, you know, sati, the root of the word sati is also to remember. To remember who we are. through uh, the powers of imagination and sensing, we remember who we are. And out of that wordless space, a new response can emerge. Because that what cannot be expressed in words, you know, has vast intelligence, which operates in a different way. We need to give it more space in ourselves through training in this way. And letting, you know, letting go of that sense of mastery and superiority, which is really increasingly getting more ridiculous if we look at the mess we are creating. And really relaxing down into that root system of ours, which is vast and amazing. You know, not only human ancestors, but animal, plant, mineral. Deep time, you know, takes us back all the way till the beginning of this planet. And, you know, with the in-breath, we just allow whatever emerges into consciousness, feeling, intuition, and with the out-breath, just relaxing into the space. In the space which doesn't end at the walls of this room. And we can listen into the space, which is limitless, which is expanding any moment, expanding and expanding. You know, letting go any sense of me or mine, my space, or I know, letting go of all of this, just experiencing space without any story on top of it. Empty space. And then, you know, we can let go of the space and becoming aware of that which knows about the space. It's also limitless. Awareness. Consciousness. Like, you know, looking at itself. Uh, Making making a U-turn and becoming aware of its own capacity to know. Like a mirror reflecting. So becoming conscious of that capacity. But simply not being the knowing without any sense of this is me knowing, dropping all of that. Just knowing no subject, no object. And noticing another quality of the mind which doesn't cling. The openness, the ease, restfulness. That's you know when the system can recharge and heal. just noticing you know the difference of the body perception if we don't have such you know hard boundaries if everything is open up we can directly sense into our interconnectedness with the biosphere the non-separation can be sensed directly And that's, you know, uh, important cultivation to really experience the non-separation intentionally, regularly, so that there is more and more familiarity with it. So it can be remembered in times when we are challenged or triggered. The sense of relatedness becomes more available. For example, you know, there's many tribes who are having totem animals here in America, but also Aborigines and probably other tribal societies where they have a real strong connection with nature through a certain animal and its characteristics. That some resemblance, you know, to this way of becoming aware, you know, how deeply connected we are, that we are nature. And now, you know, as there is increasingly... Uh, laws made you know protecting nature protecting individual rivers mountains and so on recognizing their sovereignty you know that we are not we don't have the right to take from them just because you know we can walk around and we have language and we have the technology that doesn't mean that we have a right to infringe on their lives this is just such a different way of thinking We need to get used to that. We need to have a foundation on which we can find a new system of uh, going about living. A new narrative from which then, you know, new organizations, new systems, a new civilization can emerge over the years to come. And now we are in this, on this threshold where it starts to show some little beginnings. And we want to, you know, midwife that. We want to receive that gently and weave it gently, gently together with what's happening and phase out that which is no longer serving, hospicing that and midwifing the next phase on this planet. That's a awesome service, you know, which we can render. What else is there to do, really? And you're also noticing maybe that sense of equanimity, upeka, equipoise, you know, if the mind is really poised, not veering off into yes or no, black or white. It's more like a bird's eye view. Or it can also, you know, be defined like as the laugh of a grandparent. You know, who has seen it all. The ups and downs. And who stays open, you know. Doesn't nail down anything any longer. Not not more trying. But allowing that flow And then, you know, inviting the ancestor wisdom to come forward, you know, to give us the resilience and the confidence that we can do something. To make this transition a bit less hard, to soften the fold, you know, to widen the arch. slow down, you know, before we crash and knowing you know that whatever happens is going to be what's happening to coming back to the body and the breathing. You know, if you like, you can ask yourself, you know, why have I come this time around? Why have I come? What is my work? You know, like dropping a stone into a lake and just see what ripples come, if any.